Hello, everybody, and welcome to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Marketsmith. Today is February 19th, 2020. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and with me today is Andy Swan. He is the founder of Likefolio. Thanks for being here, Andy. Yeah, thanks for having me on. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current markets, how social data can help you in your stock analysis, and then we will end the episode with three current stocks. So the current market, the market continues to be in an uptrend. We have two distribution days on the NASDAQ, five on the S&P 500, but the market continues to climb that wall of worry, and more importantly, leading stocks uh, are acting well and hitting new highs. Andy, what are your thoughts on the market? Yeah, I think you nailed it. It's just very strong and continues to uh, just defy expectations. I think, um, you know, it's almost like the more negativity is in the in the headlines of the world, the higher the market goes. And yeah. I think there's pretty good reason for that. I think that the economy is strong. There's a lot of wealth being created. And, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of great companies doing some extremely innovative things. So I think that drives a lot of this. And there's excitement around uh, around all of it. Plus, money's pretty cheap. That's true. And and also, you know, the, the U.S. markets are now like the safe haven, right? Uh, it yeah. seems like the money's coming from everywhere else, and let's park in the U.S. markets because of that innovation, and also we're, we're not having as many crises as, as a, lot of, a lot of other parts of the world. That's right. A lot so, of inflows. Yes, exactly. And, and so you definitely want to make sure you're keeping your watch list fresh, keep an eye on those leaders because eventually there's going to be a time for a pullback. And so they're going to set up and give everyone an opportunity to get buy more shares or start initial positions. Uh, so Andy, let's get into how you got into investing. You've been doing this for a while now. And so why don't you walk us down the, the path that led you to uh, starting like Folio? Yeah. So we actually, it's, you know, my brother and I have been partners in this since the very beginning, we actually opened our first brokerage account together. We were college roommates. Oh, wow. And this was, you know, this was in college. It was 1998, 1999. Um, markets were popping, like even at the gym, people were watching CNBC rather right. than anything else. It was just the dot-com boom and yes. everything was moving and it was a great way uh, to get involved. And it was really like very exciting and it made sense to me. The markets did. I understood um, not necessarily, you know, valuations and things like that, but I understood supply and demand and, and how companies can uh, participate in, in growing the economy and that sort of thing. And so there was this new era that made sense to me. I was online a lot. I understood the dot-com boom in, in, the, in the ways that I could. Yeah. And so I got very interested in the stock market, started studying it, started trading uh, our money, and, uh, you know, really just kind of learned by going. And that I think um, a lot of times people miss that aspect of it. It's everything's kind of academic until you have real money on the line, I yep. think, for a lot of people. And it doesn't have to be a lot. We started with a couple grand in a brokerage account. And that was, you know, very real to us and very fun. And, um, you know, it was just super interesting from the very beginning, 1998, 1999. It sounds like a long time ago now, but it doesn't feel like it. No, not, not at all, because that, that was the time where I got exposed to the markets, too. And it was <coughs> remarkable how, how everyone was talking about the stock market uh, at, at that time. Let's, let's, you touched on an interesting concept here about, you know, putting real money on the line and the emotions that people feel. A lot of people, 
uh, you know, especially more analytical people, they want to do all the analysis first before making that move. And it's that paralysis by analysis. But go into a little bit more about, you know, just put some money on the line and learn to feel those emotions that come out when you start doing well in the markets and then when you start doing really poorly. Yeah, I think I, I just think that it's really easy to pretend that you're doing something and you know it's kind of like I you know I like to make sports analogies all the time because I play basketball and you know it's, it's like you can't really read a book on how to shoot a free throw and eventually you got to step to the line with a crowd around you and with other players on the line and the score is going to matter and that changes everything and and all that stuff that you read uh, goes out the window. And so I think it is important because probably the most important part of investing, I think, is, uh, you know, understanding your own emotions and how they can throw you off track and disrupt a strategy that you might have. Mm -hmm. And so until you have those emotions engaged, you really don't know how uh, to control them. And unfortunately, I haven't found anything that really beats a couple of, of uh, bad losers in terms of teaching lessons in a really quick way. <laughs> that, that's true. Though the, the market has a great way of humbling all of us. Yeah. So after you and your brother started your brokerage account, you started putting real money on the line, what were the next steps that got you more involved and really started uh, you know, enabling you to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, well, we had we had really good success, and you know, a lot of people a lot of people did at that time because it was the dot com boom and everything was going up. But um, you know, we had some unique advantages. We figured out we figured out uh, like simple things like real time quotes and yeah. level two quotes and things like that that were kind of unique at the time. So we were always looking for that little edge, and we we were able to find some and exploit them. And eventually, you know, through the chat rooms and other message boards of the time had actually built up a little bit of a name for ourselves uh, through what we were posting, both in terms of picks, but more importantly, educationally online. And so um, about a little ways through law school, about six weeks into law school, in <laughs> fact, um, I decided this, this is not for me. I don't necessarily want to work with and surround myself with lawyers for the rest of my life. I really have something good going. Uh, in the stock market and people are coming to me constantly not for my picks but more for uh, you know how to get started in that educational component and so that's when Landon my brother and I got together and decided uh, let's start something where people can actually pay us to help them get started investing we did that we we eventually turned that into uh, I think it was the world's first um, live streaming you know content and educational channel Wow. Uh, for that was that was going across the internet throughout the market day, and um, you know people subscribed to that, and we built that into a nice little business that eventually we sold, and um, and that that got us kind of kicked off on the entrepreneurial path. That's very very cool. And so now your latest venture and and is like Folio. Is your brother involved in that one too? Yeah, we're partners on that as well. This is our third fintech company together. And uh, yeah, we're having a lot of fun with this. The, the reason that we started Likefolio uh, kind of goes back to those roots. And it's pivoted since then. But back at the beginning, the idea behind Likefolio and the name was really we wanted to help people create portfolios based on the companies and products that they actually liked in real life. And so we use social media to figure out what they and their friends were talking about online and actually created a portfolio based on those products 
called a like folio. The, the idea was to get people interested in investing. Uh, it didn't take long, though, for us to realize that there was a lot of value in the data itself mm -hmm. and in uh, figuring out what brands and products people were talking about. We were able to see some really interesting correlations between uh, that data that we saw on social media and upcoming future uh, earnings reports and same store sales numbers. Yeah, and I uh, I saw you speak uh, in the Traders Expo in Las Vegas back in November, and yeah. it was a really fascinating presentation uh, because uh, you know, for, for us, a lot of times we're looking for stocks that are in strong uptrends. You're looking for the purchase intent in strong uptrends, but yep. the stocks might be getting hit and might be, uh, you know, falling off of a lot of people's radar. So that's what I liked about it. It's like, okay, this is another way to get some of those stocks that might have fallen off my radar back on my radar. Yeah, a great example of that would be, you know, last summer, the, our great call was on Crocs, the, the maker of the ugly shoes. And what we saw, <laughs> you know, that stock had fallen off everybody's radar. It was down around 15 or 16 bucks and really kind of dead money. But what we saw was a massive uptick and a really pretty uh, fast and accelerating uptick in the number of people talking about buying Crocs and liking Crocs shoes and the new models that they had. Yeah. And there was some influencer action behind that. I think Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber were caught in public wearing Crocs and not necessarily paid to do so. And that just started this, this trend and Crocs were on a comeback. And we were able to see that through the mining of social media data, you know, well before the stock made the move from, I think, 16 to you know, forty dollars. Yeah, and and in the end, you know, the the large concept that we're all looking for here is, you know, that supply and demand. Whether you see yeah. it in the stock market or in the products that can eventually lead to those rises in in stocks. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I, I think what everybody's looking for is an edge, right? We don't claim to have uh, uh, the golden goose that produces profits every single time. Uh, no one should ever claim that, you know, but what we can provide and what we do, uh, you know, work really hard to discover are those small little edges that can add up to a distinct advantage for the investor over the rest of the market. And once you get that, you start exploiting it over and over. And, uh, you know, those those. Uh, what were small gains can start to turn pretty large. Absolutely. So the markets continue to remain in a strong uptrend, and we're almost done with earnings season. Let's take a quick break, but when we return, we'll go more into this, and we'll talk more about the social data and how it can help you with your investing. Stay tuned. I am here with Scott St. Clair. Scott's one of our senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, there are a ton of publicly traded stocks just on the U.S. I think it's over 5,000 stocks. Who has the time to go through all of these stocks and find the very best ones? Yeah, most people don't, right? So what you need is a tool like MarketSmith. We have decades of research on what makes a great winning stock. So we've done all the research for you. So we're going to try to highlight those specific stocks with those great data points. So if you're looking for that next great potential big winner, orange stock ideas button, you just click on it and you've got some of the main reports that we use, including the Growth 250. Yeah, and the Growth 250 is the first list that I go through on the weekends. Yeah, it's the most popular one, but there are others. There's the Breaking Out Today, Stocks Near a Pivot, and then the Blue Dot List, right, which is very popular. It's going to show you the stocks with the best relative strength. 
So we've done a lot of the work for you. What you have to do is review these lists. You're going to come up with some of the best ideas in that current market environment. Perfect. Mark Smith saves you time and makes investment research that much easier. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. Andy Swan is our guest on Investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Andy, let's go over how we can use social data to help us with our stock analysis. And I think maybe the best way to start off is with uh, how Tesla came on your radar, because that, that was definitely a pretty cool story that I heard back in Vegas when you gave your presentation. Yeah, back in November, I was a little nervous to give that because Tesla was going through a little bit of a rough patch. It started to move higher at that point, but um, you know, was was widely hated. And I want to just—I think it's a great opportunity to make clear that what we're doing at Likefolio has nothing to do with tracking investor chatter about the stock itself. We're not concerned with that at all. In fact, a lot of times we found that that can be a contrarian indicator. And rather what we're doing is focused on what consumers are saying about the brands and products that the company makes. And all of that information is, you know, it's publicly available on Twitter. We have a great uh, feed directly from Twitter. We're partners of theirs. And so this is, you can kind of think of it as a real time consumer poll that runs 24 seven, you know, and is looking at the, the opinions and experiences of people that don't necessarily uh, know that they're being watched. So you can trust the data a little bit. And so with Tesla, what we saw was a really nice spike uh, and very sustained in purchase intent mentions. And so that's what we call it when people are talking about actually making a purchase of the product, they're yeah. leasing a Tesla, they're buying one, they've pre-ordered, that sort of thing. And so we saw a really nice sustained acceleration in purchase intent mentions, especially around the Tesla Model 3, which was what uh, Elon Musk had essentially bet the company on. Right. And we so at that point, we're, we're able to see that consumer demand for this product is extremely high and is growing rapidly at almost uh, a, you know, kind of an insane pace. What we don't know is whether or not Elon Musk and the company is going to be able to deliver, what their production issues might be, their debt structure, all those types of things still have to come into play. But what we could say with certainty on that stage was that consumer demand for Tesla vehicles, and especially the Model 3, was through the roof. And for me, that's a great starting point when you're looking at a company, especially one with the short interest that Tesla had. Yes, exactly. And and as we know, I mean, uh, probably Tesla was around 350 at that point when you were talking about it. And who could have imagined that it would have gone uh, on the amazing run of, that it's gone on. But when you are heavily as shorted as Tesla was, you know, the, the shorts have to learn a lesson too about not fighting the trend. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's kind of one of those, you know, perfect storms in a lot of ways because, um, you know, you had a huge short interest on the stock um, that had to come off at some point, and it just seemed like uh, with the data that we had on, on consumer demand for the products, that at some point the dam was likely to break to the upside. Now, did I see it going to $900? No, but, but, I did, but we did think that it had uh, room to run in a, in a very meaningful way over the course of, you know, two or three years. It just happened to happen much faster than that. And a lot of that was due to the 
uh, you know, the demand that had to come into the stock once it started moving higher and those shorts started having to cover. Right. And 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 that's where that's that little bit of an edge that that you give and yeah. you get a few of these edges that's that can make all the difference in in the world because you take that edge and then you apply it to your own stock strategy and your own setups and when you know whatever stock is actually now viable for according to your strategy now you can put that plan into place so that's what i like about it is that okay here's a little bit more insight that i did not have before yeah i think that i think that's the whole key and that's why uh, you know most of our clients and, and most of our revenue, you know, 90% plus comes from institutions and institutional investors who are looking uh, to put this into their uh, formulas and into their processes. And the biggest component here that we can offer is that we can say, hey, I don't know about the debt structure. I don't know about their ability to produce, but what I do know is that the demand has never been higher and is growing at an exponential pace. And that a lot of times is enough because if you remember back uh, in the summer of 2019 and even into the fall when I was speaking on that stage, there was a lot of uh, chatter online that maybe people weren't going to buy these cars, that they yeah. weren't popular enough, that they were sitting on, you know, um, in the parking lots of the production facilities That's going right. unsold. And it was you know, kind of that ability to tap into social media data that led us to say, that's absolutely not true. We know that with a high degree of certainty because the sample size is really nice and, and the data was very clear in terms of trend. Yeah, and I, I, I re definitely remember seeing pictures going through Twitter of these parking yeah. lots and all these Model 3s and saying, see, they're not selling any of them. Um, so this is a little bit more objective way to look at the data yeah. and see what um, a buyers are actually doing. Now, one other thing that I noticed when I was l looking at your site, uh, another trend that's uh, been doing pretty well and, and something that yeah, you spoke about uh, in, uh, in November, too, is the, the plant-based trend. And, and Beyond Meat was w one of those that did well. But that, that trend seems to be getting pretty strong. And, and I, I guess I've become a little bit more aware of it, too, because I've been trying it a lot more, you know, <laughs> sticking to and trying to stay away from the meat a little bit more. Uh, yep. But uh, I, I think with the, the younger generation, stuff like that, it's a lot more popular there. And it just seems to be growing. And, and your data is picking that up. Yeah, it is. That's one thing we do uh, look at as well is not just at the company and product level, but we do look at like these consumer macro trends and what is what is really trending, um, you know, in terms of consumer behavior shifts and, you know, switching to a plant based diet um, or at least trying to like right. you're talking about. Right. You know, I think the new term might be flexitarian or something <laughs> like that, where you might have some meat here and there, uh, but you're trying to avoid it. And that is a, that is a trend that we saw, you know, really taking off. It started, you know, near the end of 2018, uh, beginning of 2019. It was a huge New Year's resolution at the beginning of 2019. We saw that sort of pop uh, in terms of a trend, and and that's the kind of thing that you can just use to say, all right, I don't know what Beyond Meat should be valued at. It, mm -hmm. You know, thinking back in 2019, I don't know what Beyond Meat should be valued at, but I know that there are enormous cultural tailwinds behind this company and sometimes that's all it takes in order for a company to ride away for quite a while um, you know we saw we see that with the streaming space and the cord cutting space which i think you know we've got a couple stocks in the next right. segment that we'll get into that are based on that but that's the idea is can we figure out 
big cultural shifts in consumer behavior and then tie that off into its impact on specific companies by looking at how the brands and products uh, are doing in the marketplace. No, that that's perfect. Now, one other thing that uh, is very important is uh, finding a strategy that works for you that's most importantly aligned with your personality. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. You've been doing this for a while and, and talk about how you align your strategy with your own personality. Yeah, I, this is so important. And I think it's part of the part of the process of having a little bit of real money on the line is yeah. figuring out, you know, how your your strategy might align with your personality, because it's pretty easy to go by the book until, you know, your own personality starts to get in the way. And I think for me, it was quite a process, right? I had to go through a lot of different ideas and systems. And then finally, I've I've figured out that I like to swing for the fences. I like higher, more risky plays. Uh, I like to involve uh, options in doing so in order to kind of get the risk side of it pared down to some reasonable level. Yeah. But it, but it, but essentially, my personality is one that it's I think I'm right. I feel like if I don't get the maximum gain out of being right, uh, I can handle losses really easily. It's it's not a problem for me. They roll right off of me, and so. What has to happen is that I have to maximize the return when I do when my edge does pay off. And so that's just a personality thing. That's the way that I look at it. And so I'm able to create a strategy that says, I'm going to use options. I'm going to use them really smart. I'm going to take as many swings as I can with a high amount of leverage and understand that 40, 45% of the time I'm going to be wrong and lose. But on that 50, 55%, 60% that I'm right, I really want to make a considerable amount more. Now, other people like to win 80% of the time. And there's, you know, there's ways to do that. And, the, and, and a lot of people get very disturbed when they start to lose a little bit of money. And so you just have to understand that about yourself. It takes a little time, but I encourage people to try to figure out a way to balance that risk versus reward, but more importantly, that percentage of losers. Because I think the main key for a lot of people is they can't, some people can't handle hardly any losers at all. It mm -hmm. just really bothers them. And so when you're, when you're in that situation, you have to start thinking about putting a bunch of stocks together and a bunch of positions together at once and, and thinking more long-term. But um, you know, for me, it was a process. I think it's going to be a process for a lot of people, but I do think it's extremely important because there's no such thing as a good strategy if you don't stick to it, and your per personality eventually will win out. Yeah, no, that that's great, great advice there. Uh, you, it, you always have to make sure that that risk-reward ratio is, is there, right? And, yeah. and, and you also said another thing. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, too. It's funny. It, losses don't bother me at all. Now I've just taken so many of them right. that it's like you, it's just part of the game, right? It, it's like you, you, it's a numbers game in the end. And then how you, uh, how, how big the reward you want to get, you know, you, you're you're figuring that out too. Yeah, I mean, what what bothers me? It still does bother me when I have, you know, something going that looks like I hit it out of the park and then it reverses and, you know, like too quickly to even ca capture my profits. I thought it was going to run like that still makes me mad. Yes. You know, and it's still, yeah, I still don't like that. But the idea that I, that I'm down some money doesn't bother me. Uh, you know, I do, I do zoom out and look at the longer term and think about, um, how my, 
uh, winning positions are uh, paying off or, or uh, could multiply. And so I think that's it. I think that's uh, for a lot of people finding that match between strategy and personality. It takes a little time. It takes some experimentation. And it definitely, I think, takes uh, a little bit of real money on the line in order to figure it out. Absolutely. So purchase intent with social media can give you a nice edge on your stock analysis and also identify some of those stocks that may have fallen off your radar. And then also remember, know yourself. And that way you can find a strategy that works best for you. Coming up next, we will discuss a number of ideas that are worth looking into. We'll be back. I'm here with Scott St. Clair, and Scott is one of the senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, we've both been doing this for a long time, and we know that investment research takes a lot of time. There's so many factors that you want to look into to try to figure out that whether this is a stock to buy or not. Quarterly earnings, huge sales growth, hey, are institutions buying it? The list goes on and on. Yeah, it's a common question. I hear it all the time. I don't have time to, to do this work. So you don't have to spend that much time. If you have a tool like Marcus Smith, we do a lot of that work for you. Right there on the chart, earnings, sales, group strength, institutional sponsorship, like you just mentioned. Right. It's all there in the chart. So it allows you to make a decision much easier. Yeah, and the beauty is that we have in-house analysts that go through the SEC filings. They pull out those numbers, and they put it right on the markets chart, and all you have to do is analyze them. Yeah, I couldn't imagine having to go to the SEC website and look at the income statement, et cetera. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, and, and, and that would take hours and hours. And in that time, you can go through hundreds of stocks and find the best ones. So don't miss out on a big winner because you don't have enough time to research it. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. We are back with Andy Swan on Investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Andy, let's talk about a few current stocks. And the first one is Roku. And obviously, Roku is in the middle of this huge cord-cutting trend that you guys are also seeing on, like, Folio. Yeah, that's what initially got us into uh, Roku and interested in looking at it, was that consumer macro trend of cord-cutting of moving away from cable or traditional TV and streaming uh, programs through devices. And uh, it kept, kept popping up, Roku did, as a product that consumers actually really liked and that bridged the gap between, I know I want to get rid of cable, I know I don't want to be paying all this stuff for content I don't use, yep. I know there's better stuff on my laptop, but really, I don't understand how to get that onto my TV, and Roku was the one to step in and do that. And so I, I think it was about a year ago, the stock was at 40 bucks. We loved Roku. Uh, purchase intent, it had pulled back, I think, you know, by 50% or something. Right, right, right. But purchase intent mentions on like Folio were just absolutely going through the roof. And to top it off, consumer happiness levels, which we also, also measure that kind of sentiment of the consumer, was also very high, which is honestly pretty rare normally when companies see a large purchase intent move to the upside it means you know there's a lot of demand coming into the products and a lot of times that gets strained and the consumer experience starts to dwindle okay but with roku that didn't happen so we knew that they had a very high quality product and so uh, it's nice to get into a stock when it has those macro tailwinds of consumer behavior plus it's a best of breed product that holds up well 
under growth conditions. Yeah, and and when when you guys were seeing that, and that and really what you're seeing here is a a major divergence between the purchase intent and and yeah. it not being displayed in the the stock price. It was around forty at that point, and it only went up to uh, oh a hundred and seventy or so <laughs> during yeah, that and, current you know, run. It, it's pulled back now. It's 125, but right. the thing about it is this this cord cutting movement is only gaining steam. And I think a lot of times we get caught up in valuations and you know companies. It, I, the, what I found you know through a 22 year career is that best of breed companies that have consumer tailwinds at their back, like the Amazons of the world, like the Googles, the Facebooks, they're expensive for a reason, yep. and they tend to get more expensive over time, and that can last for a really long period of time. And so when I look at Roku, I mean, one of the most amazing stats on Roku to me is that currently 30% of all TV viewing time is done via streaming, but only 3% of advertising dollars are going to streaming, right? So that, yeah. that gap has to close, and yep. there's a 10x gap in there, and when you're best of breed like Roku, that's a lot of revenue potentially captured. And so, I don't know, is it worth 125, is it worth 60, or could it, or could you just say, this could be worth 500 or $1,000 five years from now, and it doesn't really matter what it's at today. Right, and yeah, the, the nice thing about Roku, it's kind of the neutral player, too. Yeah, it's gonna, you know, it can have uh, Apple on it, Amazon, Disney Plus, everyone, and they're also integrated in a lot of TVs, the TCL TVs, uh, yeah. maybe some of the Samsung TVs. I think are integrating it now too, um, and of course that customer experience, which is uh, you know, leading to the happiness mentions uh, on your site. Yeah, I think it's I, I, another crazy stat. I, I think a majority of televisions sold in the United States have Roku built into them. That's crazy. At this point, like it's a, it's insane. They are they are the perfect neutral player. They're like, um, you know, the the perfect neutral player for this. And I just think, um, you know, with the consumer tailwind at their back, I just like it. I think it's something to have in. It's an expensive stock, so you got to be ready for some serious volatility. But um, the upside could be considerable right and and i think the, the the biggest part of that story is only three percent of the advertising revenue is kind yeah. of streaming which that that's gonna obviously close now roku uh on the mark smith charts it, it's it's building a big a couple with the handle here it's uh, finding support around the 200 day and and so it is taking some time off after that monster monster run that it had in 2019 okay let's go to the second stock and uh, this is uh, Canada Goose, uh, ticker symbol G-O-O-S. And uh, what, is, uh, what, what are you guys seeing uh, on this with the, the purchase intent? Yeah, so what's cool about this company, this company is you know, very easy one for us to track because they essentially have one product. It goes by a single brand that is very popular that people tend to talk about uh, when they do buy the product. It's expensive. It's a one-time purchase. It kind of has all of those elements that makes a company really nice for Likefolio. And to top it off, it's extraordinarily seasonal because they sell very expensive, uh, cold weather friendly uh, jackets and coats. Yeah. And so um, every year around January, around the end of December, we're able to look into Likefolio purchase intent mentions and just see, all right, how much are people talking about Canada Goose jackets? And from 2015 to 2018, every year that spike in the winter was bigger and bigger and bigger. Wow. And then this past, um, you know, six months or so, actually three months, uh, we've seen that this year's peak 
uh, although still, you know, much larger than what it, what you see in the fall or spring and, of course, summer, is considerably lower than in prior years. And so, you know, we put out a bearish signal on this. <clears throat> I think the stock was something like 36 or 37 bucks. Um, and, you know, what we saw in the last earnings report was very much in line with what we expected to see from the Lifefolio data, and that was a softening of sales. But what's interesting about it, to us at least, going forward it's been a nice play i think it's a 20 percent gainer from a bearish position right now but i still think there's significantly more to this because the way the company explained their soft sales was blaming it on the coronavirus in china oh wow <laughs> and to me that to me that just doesn't ring true yeah i think it's an easy scapegoat but we were seeing a softness in consumer demand for Canada Goose go coats as early as Black Friday and all the way through. And, and none of this coronavirus stuff had even uh, hit the radar at that point. So I don't think, um, you know, I don't think Canada Goose is telling the full story. I do think that there is a softening of consumer demand and they've got a lot to, to uh, try to overcome over the next year. And so from a long-term perspective, I think you know, I think the stock's somewhere right around 30 right now. I could easily see this in the upper teens if we talk again next year at this time. Yeah, and so there's a softening in the consumer demand, and there's also a softening in demand uh, in the for the stock. This has yeah. been in a very consistent downtrend uh, for quite a while right now. It, it almost seems like it's been about uh, maybe below the 200-day uh, moving average for a, a year. Yeah, so yeah. it's like so. Any way you look at it, this has been a you don't want to be owning this stock at all. And if you want to bet against it now, that that's a different story. But the trend is clearly down here, and it's being backed up uh, by the purchase intent that that you guys are seeing. Yeah, it's just you know, it's just a it's a it's a one trick pony type of company yeah. where that one trick pony is not. Uh, performing so well anymore. Yeah, you know, and, and there are plenty of stocks like this that there are more kind of the faddish kind of that yeah. they have their runs for a year plus, and then after that, they're done, you know? I mean, GoPro yeah. immediately comes to, to mind on that when other competitors yeah, it, come out. It, it, and Crocs, you know, yes. like I, I talked about Crocs last year, last summer, we got the great run, we got it all the way through the fall, the stock has doubled and, and then some, and now what we wait for on Crocs is another seasonal development, just like on Canada Goose. There's no that we have no edge right now on Crocs. There's nothing going on. But once we start into the warm winter months and we start picking up whether or not you know if the teenagers continue to go back out or you know you know the um, the KFC Crocs that just came out like those are going to be a hit. Like they have some weird stuff that they do, but they bring attention to themselves. So what I'm what I'm getting at is Crocs is also seasonal. And so we have to wait for around, somewhere around the spring to start to see if what we saw last summer uh, can continue into 2020 or if, like Canada Goose, it's a fad whose time has come and gone. So we just have to wait and see on that one. But uh, historically, our data has been very good on it. So I'm, I'm excited about seeing what the data shows. Yeah, exactly. Let's go to the third stock. And this is Adobe. And, and so what are you guys seeing uh, on this? Yeah, Adobe, I like. Um, it's, it's something bullish we put out. I think it was somewhere around 300. It's climbed with the market really nicely. I yep. think that Adobe's, it kind of reminds me of Microsoft uh, a bunch of years ago because, you know, micro, what Adobe's done is they've transitioned into the subscription business model. They have a best of breed product lineup uh, in all of their 
you know, Photoshop and all of their video editing software, things like that. They have a subscription model that gives them very um, comfortably uh, re recurring revenue. And so what that does is it allows them to kind of take some bets that are moonshots. And one of those bets that we're seeing that I don't think the market's really picked up on, I'm not sure yet if it's going to be a success, is their bet on, again, the streaming ad technology. And so Adobe has built out a really unique, uh, personalized, uh, you know, down to the individual, but still, um, you know, still anonymous advertising uh, technology that works on Roku wow. that they can um, that they can provide to all of their Fortune 500 brand customers. And so I think that kind of like Microsoft, where they built that subscription revenue base for their core products and then took this moonshot bet on cloud computing, yeah. I see the same type of thing happening with Adobe right now. And it's pretty exciting in that they have a great subscription business. The stock is and the company's fine just based on their pro their core products alone. But the moonshot that they're taking on streaming ad technology, I think, is one to pay attention to, and that could pay off big for the company. Yeah, I mean, that that's very interesting uh, because there, there, there's going to be a, a big fight for all those advertising dollars on the streaming devices like a Roku. Yeah. Um, and you know that brings up to, to mind because another one that I'm, I, I keep an eye on and I do have shares of is Trade Desk. Trade Desk yeah. is almost that... Uh, kind of the neutral player versus you don't want to go for Google or Facebook. Uh, you want to advertise on trade desk for the rest of the internet, as they say. And they're, they're also poised to, to do well as more streaming uh, dollars, ad dollars go in. So that that's kind of, I didn't know about Adobe. They could become a, a pretty big competitor to trade desk. Yeah, they're in there, and I and I think that there's complementary services for each because a lot of it's the the automated mechanical buying of these ads. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of what happened with uh, how Google came onto the scene and kind of disrupted the uh, the advertising space online and and took everybody from banner ads to you know search based and and uh, individual based ads. I think the same things happening in streaming. And it's probably too early to call the winners, mm -hmm. but the ones that are showing progress right now and that are showing real promise are those Roku's trade desks and now kind of Adobe with this moonshot play, um, which I like. If you don't want a pure play, if you want to have something with a little bit more of a diversified revenue stream, uh, Adobe's definitely in the mix. Yeah, and Adobe broke out of a couple of the handle uh, back in late uh, back in mid December after they reported their yep. their earnings. They're up twenty percent from that. And you know that's nice about having a diversified mix of revenue streams. This has just been kind of a nice, smooth yeah. ride up. Not a lot of volatility. Yeah, and they and they have you know when we look at um, consumer happiness around Adobe's products, it's off the charts high. So that tells us when you have that combined with a subscription revenue service, that means you have pricing power. Yep. And so anytime uh, Adobe wants to drop a little more money to the bottom line they have the opportunity to do that. And so that's that's a nice safety valve for the company uh, going forward for sure. That's awesome. So there are a few ideas that are worth looking into and considering uh, adding to your watch list. Thank you, Andy, for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Love the podcast. That's it for this week on Investing with IBD, sponsored by Marketsmith. Next week, we will have Basim Nawaz on. He is also known as Trader Stewie on Twitter. So that's it. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening.
And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.